Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! It is the Hammer and Nigel show. Nigel currently taking sick day number 5,427, which means the Tonus, Tony Kennett, investigative reporter for the Daily Signal, gets to be fake Nigel today. How are you, my friend? I am just stupendous. So you heard the news a little bit earlier, the Indiana Supreme Court Disciplinary Commission has filed a new complaint against Attorney General Todd Rakita. Tony, walk us through this a little bit. So you all should know there's a Shakespearean play called Much Ado About Nothing, and uh, that's pretty much what this is all about. So there's this disciplinary complaint that's filed uh, because Attorney General Todd Rakita, while they were doing an investigation into uh, the uh, abortionist uh, in Indianapolis uh, who had basically used this abortion that she had performed as political capital, bragged about it at events, talked about how important it is that she's how important it is that she's out there performing abortions, etc. And Rakita gets up on Fox News and he's says, uh, yeah, this is an individual that's proud of the abortions that they're doing. That was the interview with Jesse Waters. Correct. And uh, look, I've done interviews with Jesse Waters. He doesn't exactly set you up for things. He just kind of lets you say exactly what you need to say. And that's important to this because Rakita doesn't try to say, well, Rakita, well, uh, well, Jesse Waters set me up and did some. No, Rakita is very honest and says, look, she already blew the whole thing wide open by bragging about it at political events. She chose to go public and violate patients' privacy and all other kinds of things by going out there. So if I comment on it, it's not a big deal. And even if she had, I'm going to be honest, I'm just not seeing the the smoke and the crying and the terror from everyone about Rakita, I guess, as much as maybe I should be. Now, he is a target because anytime the attorney general comes on our program, if he retweets us or simply just tags us that he's coming on, the amount of vitriol that we get on the other end, there are two people that come on this show on a regular basis that get more hate than anybody I've ever seen, Tommy Larry is one, and Todd Rakita is the other one. Yep, and I'm going to make this also very clear as well. Rob Kendall completely rakes Rakita over the coals, like, daily, and Rakita continues to do work, continues to in- engage with a lot of the, the points that are that are made against him, and tries to, at least from what I have seen, his Attorney General's office tries to deal with Indiana citizens and Indiana matters fairly. He tries to advance what he was elected to do, and in this investigation into this abortionist, I think that once she started to get out there and and be the the super victim complex about how great she is for for killing children that's at the point when i believe that once you have decided to go out and make political hay out of your situation people are free to criticize you about it and why do we need a supreme court special disciplinary action about this is this really what we're doing is this the most important thing right now in in indiana history this is what we got to focus on so two things number one what i heard was that you think todd Rakita should buy an I Hate Rob Kendall t-shirt, which is now available at the Hammer and Nigel merch store, store.hammerandnigel.com. And number two, the disciplinary complaints against Rakita claim he violated professional rules of conduct by discussing this case while an investigation was underway. So did Todd Rakita in any way break some rules in your opinion? No. 
No, I, I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Again, once you come out there and you say, hey, look, I'm really proud of what I'm doing. I think this is great. I'm really proud. You're, you're opening up to criticism. When I was fired from, from Indianapolis Public Schools and I decided to make political hay about it online, in articles and in interviews, I opened myself up for, for criticism. You've never heard me whining about people griping at me about the IPS thing because that's silly. I walked out onto the political stage and I said, hit me with your best shot and everyone else said, fire away. So no, I don't see that. And to your first point, yeah, you should go buy an I hate Rob Kendall t-shirt. I personally am going to get a t-shirt that says, I feel it depends on the day in parentheses about Rob Kendall. Because we also have, I love Rob Kendall t-shirts available as well. Store.hammerandnigel.com. I love advertising plugs. Let's hear from your attorney general. Today, I filed a response uh, to the complaint that stemmed from grievances, which mainly referenced media reports only. It will be public record. And my response includes information unreported by the media. Beyond that, I do remain responsible for everything my office and I do and say. And like everything, I see this situation as an opportunity to learn and improve for the next time. I am seeking re-election. And in the meantime, I will keep working for the people of Indiana, like protecting our Second Amendment, publishing the Parents' Bill of Rights, enforcing the rule of law, handling more than a 1,000 appeals cases that have been filed by criminals, and securing nearly $1 billion for Hoosier taxpayers. We will continue defending Indiana's laws and ensure that licensed medical professionals and other healthcare providers are held accountable when they violate their patients' privacy and fail to obtain those patients' consent. Now, Tony, the complaint is seeking disciplinary action against Todd Rakita, as well as ordering him to pay for the costs of the investigation. First of all, no, there were legitimate reasons to investigate her. Number two, she went out and bragged. Again, when you throw it out into the public and then get mad when people criticize the actions that you took out in public in front of everyone, I just I'm just not seeing I'm just not seeing the the big mountain. It's more of a molehill to me. Hit us up on social media at Hammer and Nigel Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We got the live studio camera rolling on the YouTube stream. Feel free to weigh in on the Rakita discussion. Keeping it here in Marion County, for the last two weeks, Tony, I've had a lot of people sending me what they found on My Case Indy, which if you don't know what that is, that's where you can look up pretty much records of anybody that's been arrested or going through a divorce or has traffic tickets in Marion County, my case Indy. Well, a couple of weeks ago, people started sending me all these notifications that there's been paperwork that Joe Hawk said and his wife were going to file for a divorce. Now, listen, let me make this perfectly clear. Nobody hates Joe Hogsett more than I do for what he has done to my city, for the way he treats law enforcement. This guy is the zero of all zeros. If you think your favorite politician is at the bottom of the barrel, look up under the barrel and you're going to find Joe Hogsett. (laughs) That being said, I'm not going to beat him up over a divorce. Nope. I'm not going to do that. There are other reasons to go after Joe Hogsett. Right. His policies, the way that he just went missing during the riots, uh, the record murders that happen under his watch. He's a joke. He's a horrible mayor. I'm not going to beat him up over the divorce unless we find out that there's something else to that, whether it's something that 
hurts the city of Indianapolis, whether it's domestic violence or anything like that. But for the most part, I know I've had a lot of people ask me, oh, I can't wait to hear what you say about his divorce. I'm not going to criticize the dude for that. Nope. I, I'm sorry. I just marital issues. They, they just don't interest me. I don't. That's between you and your spouse. I, I don't need to make hay about it. I don't care who you are. I don't care about Donald Trump's marriages. I don't care about Joe Biden's marriage. I don't care about anyone else's marriages unless there's some kind of illegality involved. And then I care about the illegality. And I, I think it's worse because you may have been involved in something regarding your spouse. That's when I start to care about marital issues. You filing for divorce does not interest me. I just don't care. I I, I don't know what's going on in there. I, I'm not going to make kind of speculations on what kind of a husband he was. That's not my place. It's just not. Right. There are so many things that you can criticize Joe Hogsett for. Yeah, there's so much low-hanging fruit. I, I right. just don't, you know, it's like, ah, oh, he's getting a divorce. Why? Why Why do that when you could focus on all of the things that he's done that are easy to make fun of because he's a terrible mayor? Don't go after family life squabbles. I, to me, I just don't, I don't think that's worth time. Joe Hogsett was the mayor when this city reached its peak, its all-time number one number for homicides. The next year, it wasn't an all-time record, and he did a victory lap. It was still top three, but he did a victory lap because, you know, in Joe Hogsett's mind, hey, we didn't set another record for homicides. This is the level of loser that we're dealing with, and I'm sorry, but it just keeps coming back to me. I'm so frustrated with Jefferson Shreve because you let this loser off the hook. You had so much material to work with here. And you came out of the gate by criticizing law-abiding citizens and then talking about abortion. What the hell are you doing? I would like to point out that it was on this show that I said back when Shreve flipped on the Second Amendment, I said, watch the next thing that he flips on be abortion. And now here we are. So again, Joe Hogsett is the devil you know, and Shreve at this point appears to be the devil you don't. All I do is win. Everybody, come on. Everybody, hands go up. And they stay there. And they say, yeah. Man, the Colts won a football game this past weekend. And hot dang, we haven't had a chance to say that in a long time. No kidding. Tony Kennett in for Nigel. I'm Jason Hammer. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Colts, even up their record, one and one on the season, knocking off. The god-awful Houston Texans. Boy, that's a bad football team. Bad, bad football team. Uh, But the story, though, honestly, isn't even the win. It's what happened with the number four overall pick in the draft, Anthony Richardson. So the Colts franchise quarterback got off to an amazing start. Two touchdown runs, had 35 yards rushing in the first six minutes of the game, 14 to nothing. He got up to celebrate the second touchdown. Everybody thought, all right, life is good. Then we find out he's not coming back in the game. He started getting concussion-like symptoms about 15, 20 minutes after that second touchdown because after he crossed the goal line, he took a shot and he hit his head on the ground. And now he's in concussion protocol. And this is one of the things that you have to look at when we're looking at where the Colts are going, because this puts us on kind of uneven ground heading up against the Ravens. I mean, it really does, because now you have to wonder, are we going to play it safe? Are we just going to kind of do some like short passing and, you know, kind of count on Moss to do some like quick runs, try to really bring forward the downs? Right. 
Or are we going to get really loosey-goosey and just kind of Hail Mary and see what sticks? <laughs> Both options scare me with this team. So if he can't go, Gardner Minshew, who finished out the game yesterday and played pretty well, will start at Baltimore coming up this Sunday. Again, Richardson has to pass this five-step concussion protocol that the NFL has set up. Normally, when a player leaves a game, he misses the next week. Not all the time. Some guys have been able to pass all the tests, but normally, especially when it's a quarterback, if they get knocked out, anticipate them missing at least a week. We will see what happens as the Colts take on the Ravens coming up on Sunday in Baltimore. And since we're talking about Baltimore, Tony, once again, this gives us a chance to play the awesome tourism commercial that I created for the fine city of Baltimore. Are you looking for a last-minute vacation spot? Well, look no further than Baltimore, where we make every day feel like it's going to be the last day of your life. (laughs) Take a scenic tour of some of the most iconic crack houses in all of America. And if you're an animal lover... (laughs) You're in luck. Baltimore is home of some of the biggest rats this side of the equator. But don't just take our word for it. Here's former Baltimore Mayor Catherine Pugh. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Ooh, Jesus. Chief exports of Baltimore include drugs, crime, hookers with back fat, and crippling depression. Where else can you see where the race riots began and where the Colts left? All in a 24-hour period. Prostitution, murder, rats, drugs, Baltimore. Laying around, defecating. Tell them Elijah sent you. So, Colt fans, have fun making that road trip this Sunday. Um, This is a sad story, man. This is a bummer. Former Notre Dame and Colts player Sergio Brown still missing after his mother was found murdered in a creek near their home in Illinois. It was kind of a suburb of Chicago. Sergio Brown played for the Colts from 2012 to 2014. Uh, His mother was found dead in the creek behind their home. It was ruled a homicide. Now, if the name Sergio Brown sounds familiar, when the Colts were kind of making playoff runs under Andrew Luck, Sergio Brown was the guy that would be in the locker room after wins and get everybody fired up doing the Ric Flair impression. Rolex Flair! Woo! Diamond ring Flair! Woo! Kiss stealing! Woo! Wheeling stealing! Woo! Limousine ride! Woo! Jet flying! Woo! Sucking on a gun! And I'm having a hard time holding these diamonds out! Give me two props and a Ric Flair! So that was Sergio Brown. He was kind of the guy that was the hype man man. of those Colts teams that uh, ultimately made a run to the AFC Championship game. And if you don't know what he's referencing, if you're a wrestling fan, you know. But if you don't know what he's referencing, it's a classic promo that Ric Flair cut. You're talking to the Rolex wearing... Diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Woo! Man, it's crazy. Like we did a fraternity skit like that in college. <laughs> we did. I, we, that's one of the ones that we actually ran up uh, for Rush Week. Uh, we we did the Ric Flair man. Absolutely. It's crazy how. Ric Flair has had this effect on like pop culture because that clip is old. Like him cutting that promo is old. And that was back 
That wasn't like WWF. That was like the WCW, predominantly Southern wrestling that would be on the Superstation TBS. But Ric Flair appealed to a lot of like athletes, white and black, people you wouldn't think would be quoting Ric Flair. They loved the way that he carried himself. Man had a style to him. He did. He just did. We had a chance to uh, speak to Ric Flair like when all this cult stuff was going on. And uh, here's what he told us. When royalty is on the phone, you answer that call. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, joining us now on the Hammer and Nigel show, uh, a gentleman that needs no introduction. He is a limousine riding, jet airplane flying, wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, son of a gun. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, Ric Flair, the hey, nature boy, yeah. joins us. Good morning, guys, and I'm having a hard time keeping his alligators down. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Thank God for Sergio Brown. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, a whole new group of fans, man, have jumped on your bandwagon just because of some viral videos. I mean, did you ever think yeah. in your wildest dreams that, you know, 17, 16-year-old kids right now would be walking around in their high school football locker rooms giving Ric Flair quotes to fire people up? No, no, I didn't, but it's, it's going, it goes on everywhere, and then they fly me to do it for them, too, so it works out both ways. So that's when we spoke with Ric Flair during the Sergio Brown kind of run that the Colts were on when he was their hype man. It doesn't sound good, Tony, but again, God is good all the time. Hopefully this works out for the best. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Tony Kennett filling in for Big Nige. I'm Jason Hammer. Tony, you're a pretty smart guy. You are an investigative reporter for the Daily Signal. I swear, you guys are setting me up for the biggest fall ever by bringing me on here and going, he's really smart, and that's the day I'm going to say the dumbest thing on planet Earth. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Thank you. But the Daily Signal, you know, they don't hire morons, especially investigative reporters. You're a smart guy. You do your homework. You've been involved in education, a big part of your adult career, working in the school system here in Indiana. So I have a question for you. Hit me. I I'm just a mere mortal that grew up in Beach Grove, Indiana, lived in Muncie at Ball State. So I have a question for the smartest guy in the room. How do you lose an F-35 military airline jet? Very carefully. <laughs> Very carefully. I mean, with, with all of the junk that they load onto an F-35 from tracking equipment to, again, we have several geosynchronous satellites in orbit. That means satellites that stay over the same part of the Earth as they rotate in orbit that are watching the United States closely and that track U.S. aircraft, both civilian and military. And they have been doing so ever since a very fateful day in 9-11-2001, we have been tracking aircraft very closely. And to lose an F-35, which was a chart, like a very specific on-the-record military flight in which a pilot has to make very specific check-ins on a set trajectory, to lose one? Oh, boy. To not know where it is. I have no idea, no. Because earlier today, there was a situation where a pilot was claiming that the transponder was not working on the plane. There was some question about what was going on. So the pilot ejected, but the plane kept going. The F-35 jet from the United States military. The which, Lockheed Martin Special. Which costs around how much? So uh, a few years ago, it was $80 million. Now they are $156 million, and that is what it will cost to replace this F-35. 100 Fifty-six million USD. 
And we have no idea where it is. No, none. It's in the ocean somewhere because they lost it over South Carolina. And the, the pilot landed happily and safely. Ejector seats do work, thank God. Uh, and that that is just, there is definitely got to be just some shark out there in the Atlantic that had a very weird morning. <laughs> I mean, how do you not know where it's at. Okay, the transponder stopped working. This isn't a group of tourists going, you know, up to Martha's Vineyard. You would think that there an are three- F-35... A military war machine would have more than one way to track it. There are three different transponders on any military jet that are active on even standard military jets. You have the the radio itself, which can be set to different frequencies to... If you're in a civilian plane and you set it to a certain frequency, things will not get pretty because that's like certain frequencies emit certain kinds of distress. Um, And then there's also the, the geosync transponder that's supposed to let satellites know where you are. And then there's also what's called a rotating transponder, which is supposed to basically bounce off of different local area connections, which provide a more detailed frame of reference for targeting systems on the craft. And those are supposed to be active whether the jet is carrying a payload or not. So the transponder shutoff does not work because there is not one transponder. There are three. How badly as a pilot do you have to screw up to simultaneously shut off all three beacons? I lose my keys from time to time. I lose my wallet from time to time. And I'm in panic mode when that goes down. That's true. I lost something right before I came into WIBC today. My wife and I tore half the house apart. My daughter thought it was hilarious. I also love to lose things. Can you imagine the fear of not knowing where... A $150-plus-million-dollar jet is? Like, just not knowing where it's at. Or... Has our government and our military got to the point, Tony, where that's eh, just 150 million bucks? Pfft, that's well, nothing. We're going to give more to that Ukraine here in about 24 hours. So, so first of all, there's a bit of a misconception uh, among among the civilian population um, that in in the military things go missing and and there's like a big to do. There's a big to do about in basic training when someone loses something and you all have to spend 72 hours without sleep looking for some guy's lens cap to his NVG goggles. Uh, but once you get into the real part of the military and things happen to disappear, they're written off in the most creative ways possible. Like, it's amazing. There were car accidents from like 12 years ago. We're still losing stuff too. And that's <laughs> that's just the kind of thing that goes on there. But I think $156 million worth of jet is uh, that's a little more than than perhaps losing a, a spare magazine uh, for the AR. I think that's perhaps just a bit over the limit. I'm just saying, maybe we ought to know where our, our jets are going. I mean, what are we sending this thing to Ukraine? <laughs> but I just can't fathom the fact that you just don't know what happened to it. Like, what if this thing would have kept going, Tony, and, oh, I don't know, crashed into <laughs> Russia, crashed into the Kremlin? I know it would have been shot down probably before it got to that point, but can you imagine the war that would have started had this plane that was just on autopilot fly and just crash into so somewhere? you're picking the worst geopolitical candidate. I want to pick just the most out-there candidate. Like, I want to see this, like, hit some random African <laughs> nation, and, like, that's what sets off the big civil war over there, or, like, it hits Argentina, and all of a sudden it's it's the Falcons War Part Two. We've started I, I a war see some with random, Spain, like Jamaica. <laughs> like all of a sudden, we're sending the Marines down to Jamaica because they won't give the jet back. That's the kind of action I would like to see in 2023. So Hunter Biden is now suing the IRS because the whistleblowers exposed him. Oh no! Now again, you're the smartest guy in the room. You're the investigative reporter. Tell me how someone who has not paid their taxes. Mm-hmm sues the IRS. Like, 
if this were anybody else, the IRS would be like, blank me, blank you. You're going to jail right now, as a matter of fact. So you might remember a couple of, of, of weeks ago when, when we had some discussion about a certain candidate for mayor of Indianapolis uh, who was uh, might have been somewhere during the riots. And you, if you're the lefty media, let's say you're like the Indianapolis star, you're going to go to that candidate and say, we don't like that Tony Kennett saying that kind of stuff on the air. Wasn't that just a bunch of nothing? Wasn't that a bunch of lies? And you'll notice the candidate didn't say anything. Right. And there's a really interesting reason, because if you engage with the accusations, if you engage with the allegations, if you sue the IRS of all places over, well, yeah, I committed the crime, but like, I'm really mad that I got outed. It doesn't make you look more innocent. It makes you look way, way, way more guilty. So it's not like Hunter's known for his logic. Uh, Again, the man reaches for a a crack pipe before a book. So, you know, I'm not really expecting too much from this, you know, fantastic money laundering art dealer. But I I don't think I would have gone after the IRS for catching me and not paying my taxes. That's a new one. When I get a speeding ticket and I don't pay it, I don't turn around and sue the police department. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Like the pilot suing the Air Force because he lost the jet. (laughs) Right. I would say you have to be a crackhead to try to sue the IRS because you haven't paid your taxes. But lo and behold, there's Hunter Biden. See, I I can't believe I agree on something with Hunter Biden, and that is that the IRS should be abolished. Is this really what's going to unify the United States? Because it should. Tell me if you're okay with this. Ooh, hit me. Tony. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> just, I'll cut you off right there, but please, yeah. All right, tell me, coming tell me. up next, um, <laughs> Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has revealed that the city of Chicago will be partnering with the Economic Security Project to explore the creation of government-owned grocery stores to assist in, quote, historically underserved Communities. I love this one because what they're admitting is that there's no uh, intelligent individual out there who wants to open up a grocery store in, in neighborhoods that have more bullets per capita than, than individuals flying at any given time. Uh, and, and this, you know, I get a kick out of this because the government has never done anything well. Can you imagine shopping at the BMV? Like, really, if the BMV ran a grocery store and it's like, well, you can't buy these apples, you need to fill out Form 234B <laughs> and then go wait in this line for four hours. And it's like, man, the thing's going to spoil before I can buy the food. And what we know about the government, right? They're going to pitch this as, look, we're trying to help. These communities are underserved oh, and all mm. of these racist people don't want to open up their stores in these communities. So we're going to open up the government-themed grocery store. You give the government just a little bit, they will run with it. Because if you allow the government-themed grocery store, get That'll ready. That'll become the standard. Bow, because here comes government-themed banks and government-themed internet. I mean, it will just snowball afterwards. See how the government-run grocery stores have gone in Venezuela, in places where the socialism runs deep. It doesn't go well. I'm looking at public schools here. So, like, again, you know, the government plops down a, a public school. They, they kind of you know reshape some kind of aspect of it. They chuck a bunch of money at it, and it doesn't improve. So what are they going to say? Well, it just needs more money. So what's going to happen in this government grocery store? It's going to be garbage. It's going to do horribly. And then they're going to chuck more money at it. So again, congratulations, Chicago, for finding yet another way to suck. Well done. Let's play Adam Schiff or Adam Sandler. Stop looking at me, swan. And now, time to play. I think there's plenty 
plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. This is going to be a fun show. Adam Sandler, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Wednesday, November 15th, 7.30 show. We got tickets for you all week long, and Ian was caller at number nine. Ian, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel show. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Man, I'm good. You a Sandler fan, Ian? Absolutely. I grew up in the 90s. How could you not be? I'm right right there with you. That's right. So what is your thoughts? Pick a movie. Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, or other? Hmm, I'd have to say Happy Gilmore. Got it. Got it. All right. I want you to win these tickets, Ian, and I think this is going to be a pretty easy game. This is how we're going to play Adam Schiff or Adam Sandler. I'm going to read a statement about someone. It will either be a statement about California Democrat Representative Adam Schiff or Adam Sandler. Get three out of five. I'm going to give you the tickets, okay? Sounds good. Number one said he had a lot of Russian collusion evidence against Donald Trump. Adam Schiff or Adam Sandler? Uh, I'm going to go with Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is correct. Ah, that was a good one. (laughs) One down, two to go. Okay. Number two, was called a pencil neck by Donald Trump. Adam Schiff or Adam (laughs) Sandler? Uh, Also Adam Schiff. Yes, correct. Little pencil neck Adam Schiff. There it is. Wow. All right, get this one and we'll give you the tickets. Adam Schiff or Adam Sandler was once quoted of saying, tell your friend Veronica, it's time to celebrate Hanukkah. Uh, Adam Sandler. There we go. Ian, my man, congratulations. You got two tickets. Stay on the line. Allison will take care of you. And we've got tickets all through the week here on the Hammer and Nigel show. I love Adam Sandler, man. Like, I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm like Ian. I kind of grew up watching those Sandler movies. I remember Saturday Night Live. Uh, that's that's where it comes from for me, man. I'm a, I was a huge 90s Saturday Night Live fan. And if you remember, he didn't go back to SNL for a number of years because they fired him, Chris Farley, like Chris Rock, basically all at the same time. Lauren Michaels thought they had peaked and... Adam Sandler was like, you know what? Screw those guys. I'm not going back. Even after he became like a big star, he finally went back. I think this was two years ago, and he performed this song. Well, it broke my heart to pieces, because SNL was my home. Where could I do my silly voices now? I never felt so alone. Yeah. I was fired. I was fired. NBC said that I was done. Then I made over $4 billion at the box office. (laughs) So I guess you could say I won. (laughs) Well played, Adam Sandler. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock Man, this story just makes me sick. Makes me want to throw up, man. I hate this. So over the weekend, there was a L.A. Sheriff's deputy just sitting in his patrol car, not 
doing anything, just kind of sitting in his patrol car. Some rotten SOB comes up behind him and just shoots and murders him execution style. Kills him right there on the spot. And there was a manhunt for a little while for the suspect. There has been arrests made. An arrest has been made in that ambush shooting. But Tony, Tony Kennett filling in for Nigel, these stories happen a lot. Yep. These ambush killings happen a lot. Yep. And they get very little press. You know, you don't have Reverend Al Sharpton, you know, camping out outside of the LAPD on this one because it was a white police officer. And you know how the story goes. Yep. But if this were the other way around... It'd be DEFCON 1 for all of these news agencies. Yeah, it really would. And and again, this is the point, that a lot of these news organizations are very quick to point out whenever a right-wing organization makes a blanket statement about anything. They're very quick to find every kind of exception to the rule. For example, if, if the right is to say something like, all abortions are wrong, left-wing media journalists will bend over backwards to try to find one instance in where they say an abortion will be justified. However, when you have these left-wing nut jobs running around, sitting in Congress saying all cops are bastards, saying all police officers are horrible people, that the, the police departments should be abolished because it is a vestige of systemic super-duper racism, you don't see any of these left-wing organizations jumping to defend, well, but there's a lot of really great police officers. There's police officers that are just minding their own business, trying to keep communities safe. All of a sudden, when it comes to the death of a police officer, no one wants to play the exception game of decency. And it's telling. It's sickening. And you're right. It does make me want to throw up because this kind of behavior is exacerbated by those fools who walk around saying ACAB, all cops are terrible. Oh, we have to get rid of police officers. It's that same kind of petulant, stupid college level thinking that has gotten us to where we are. And if you're somebody that is the type of person to commit one of these heinous acts and you see your mayor go out and basically rip on the police all the time. Like here in Indianapolis, Joe Hogsett was missing during the riots. We've all heard the rumors. Was he in rehab? Was he intoxicated? These are the rumors that are out there that Joe Hogsett has really not responded to. Those are the rumors. But when he did finally come back, when he was dragged out of wherever he was, the first thing he did was blame the police officers for the way they handled the riots in Indianapolis at a press conference. I'm sick and tired of these mayors sounding like the Looney Tunes character Droopy. They get up in front of the press and they go, well, it's just kind of sad that these cops felt the need to exist like that. No, how about getting up in front of your people and saying, I'm in a fight for every one of you. That means I'm in a fight for people who are oppressed. I'm in a fight to make sure that our boys in blue are protected so that we can do our jobs in your best interest. That That's what every mayor should be willing to get out there and say, but they don't want to upset the ACLU and they don't want to upset all the advocacy organizations. They might get canceled. It's ridiculous. They can't upset BLM, even though when there's black on black crime in the city, you never find them anywhere. They don't want to discuss that. No, 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 no. For all of the black on black crime in the city, you don't hear a peep out of BLM. But the minute that a white police officer does something that's questionable or even squirrely, 
boy, here comes the fireworks. And it's the race card every single time. And again, you see this in Hamilton Southeastern happening right now. So a black superintendent was fired. Oh, therefore it's racism. Is there any evidence there was racism? No. Hey, wait a minute. Don't all of these conservative board members support black council candidate Tiffany Divlitson? Like, isn't this kind of kind of shoot down the whole race card? No, it's racism. It always has to be because God forbid we actually take a look at the crime that was committed or the character of the individual who resigned or any other facet other than the fact that their melanin content's looking a little dark. Therefore, it's got to be racism. It's pathetic. And there's a reason why Marion County and the IMPD are short around 300 officers right now. It certainly isn't the lack of recruiting or even the pay because they have upped the pay and there's more money in the city budget for police officers. Nobody wants to work for a clown like Joe Hawkset and his mayor's office because they interfere with policing. Okay, okay. He's, he's busy addressing the real problems, like the fact that Michigan is still a one-way street. It could be a two-way street. That That's where the real problems lie, Hammer. Come on now. <laughs> um, IMPD Commander Richard Riddle uh, spoke out recently about some of the problems, some of the things they see with the IMPD. We're doing what we need to be doing, targeting individuals that are known crime contributors, getting them into jail, and then we hope that the criminal justice system in Marion County does their part. Did you catch that? We hope that the criminal justice system in Marion County does their part. They're down to hope at this point. And yes, Joe Hawk sets a total zero, but Ryan Mears may be worse. And look at some of these judges that their only solution is to slap an ankle bracelet on people. Really violent offenders that are threats to society. This is what's happening in Indianapolis. Imagine caring enough about Indianapolis to put your life on the line every evening to try to keep it as safe as you can, knowing that the county government is just going to release whomever you catch. And the more violent they are, the more likely they are to get released. And who knows? They could see you on the street, the guy that arrested them later, and know you're a target. That's the kind of thanks you get here in the city of Indianapolis. You a UAW strike continuing, about 12,700 or so UAW workers on strike, um, three different locations, Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri, not really affecting Indiana just yet, but you know that it's coming because these sides are so far apart. Here is the UAW president on Face the Nation this past weekend. Workers in this country got to decide if they want a better life for themselves instead of scraping to get by paycheck to paycheck while everybody else walks away with the loot. And, you know, when we bargain good contracts, going back to the founding of this union, people join the UAW because we set the standard. People join unions because it's a better way of life. And that's what we got to do. We have to bargain a good contract, and then we're going to go organize these places and, and bring these workers in so they get their fair share of the economy that they get nothing of right now. Most of these workers in those companies are scraping to get by, so that greedy CEOs and greedy people like Elon Musk can build more rocket ships and shoot themselves in outer space. And that's unacceptable. So he's given a speech, he's on Face the Nation, he's making his case, and then, bam, it becomes political. 
Bam! Here comes an Elon Musk shot. He had me until he starts listing examples. And I'm looking down here at some of the things listed that they're demanding. A 40% pay increase over four years and a 32-hour work week. I don't have a 32-hour work week. What on earth? Again, it this, the idea of like the classic American union that, well, we want equitable treatment for our workers. Cool. I agree. I also think that America's factory workers and auto manufacturers should have a decent life. I think they should make good wages. But then these union bosses get up and they start talking about fairy tail land and ah, they're launching rocket ships into space what are you on meth that's not helping the workers out at all and that's how you lose support in the masses yeah right there's a lot of people to be like you know what maybe they do deserve a raise i'm a little on the fence but maybe they do deserve a raise when you go out there and you criticize elon musk all right who i know he's not a republican but he's kind of tied into conservative values because he's all about free speech so once you start doing that, which by the way, Tesla pays their people way more than Ford. Yeah, or I was going to say, what does Tesla have to do with the the auto plants in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri that produce the Bronco, the Jeep Wrangler, and the Chevy Colorado? What what does that have to do with Elon's rockets? Looking at this objectively, the UAW workers, I don't think are winning the messaging battle. That's all I'm going to say. Like, I don't want to get angry UAW guy to call me. I'm just saying your leadership right now is not winning the messaging battle. That's the key. It's not the UAW workers that are the problem at all. They're the guys who want a little bit of fair treatment, and that's a conversation to have. But their leaders are going out acting like Donald Duck and Goofy in front of the media and embarrassing all of the guys who just want a little bit of better something. Again, it depends on on the factory that, that one aspect of treatment might not be good enough. That's a conversation to have. But when you have the guy that's supposed to be the best at advocating for you get up and in front of the nation and say elon's rockets like are you serious it's like when the libertarians put forward a candidate and it's like this big clown like, this is the best we could do really you have worked in the education system in indiana for a long time yep explain this to me how are the union workers of the automotive industry upset with the higher ups that make all the money but when it comes to the teachers unions they never criticize the higher-ups that make all the money. All the admins that get this money that the state of Indiana dumps, website administrators, social media workers in these schools racial making six figures. Racial equity officers. Racial equity officers all making six figures or close to it. Why don't you ever see the teachers talking about that? Well, because the union likes to kind of dangle in front a little bit of progress. There, there are three basic things that every teacher in Indiana wants a little more of. Number one, more time to be left alone and work and plan for their classroom. Number two, more administration backup so that when disciplinary issues come up, they're not getting smacked by parents and things over silly stuff. And then finally, number three, to just be respected to do their job. And I, I wish that teachers unions fought like the UAW fights for some of its workers. Union workers in the automotive industry... Hey, these top guys are taking all of our money. That's happening with the teachers, but nothing to see here. No, no. We need more money from the state so, you know, our bosses can keep fattening their pockets and not pass any of it down. Right. Ever and Nigel presents. Is. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Rock and roll. Tony Kennett filling in for Nigel today. This is how it's going to work. I'm going to run some stories by the Tonus. You be the one, Tony, to tell us if this story is anything or not. You got it. Is this anything? 
A mama black bear and her cub in Alaska broke into a Krispy Kreme delivery van as it was dropping off products to the store. Here are the managers of the Alaska Krispy Kreme, Shelly and Candace, talking about the situation. I said, uh, he's in the van. Um, and then the little cub followed and went inside the van, and then they just started eating the donuts. You could hear them, like, breaking open the packages. Um, we were trying to beat on the van, but uh, they just they just kept eating all the donuts. <laughs> we'll definitely be learning to slide up our ramp, close the doors to ensure that bears don't get back in there again. That anything? Oh, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I, Matt Bear will be pleased to hear that we are one step closer to cocaine bear. <laughs> and more important than anything, I think that I would also be tempted to sneak into a Krispy Kreme van and just demolish whatever's inside. So, I mean, I, I support those bears' rights to uh, get Krispy Kremes. What if we found out it really was just some dude in a bear suit and a son? <laughs> and- <laughs> I would need grainy footage of him walking away so we had more Bigfoot, you know, claims. Now, in that story, you heard in the soundbite there from the owners, the managers of the Krispy Kreme, they tried to bang on the door to shoo the bears away. That's good enough for me. Great moments in shooing away bears history. This is when a woman tried to use her teacher voice to scare a bear away from her back deck. Get down from there. Get down. Get down from there. Right now. Go. 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 You get down from my porch right now. Go. What do you think you're doing on my porch? You get down. Go. How dare you? <laughs> Dude, the teacher voice is real, man. When it I, is. When I found mine, because it didn't just happen. You know, I mean, I, I had to, I found it. Like, one finds themselves in a chick flick. And boy, man, it scared the lives out of students. <laughs> still do. I, my, my students still have nightmares about my teacher voice. Great moments in shooing away Bear's history. This was in Alaska. There were some photographers near the water taking some photos when a big bear ran up and they had to shoo him away. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the number one seed, the defending champion of great moments of shooing away bears, the guy on the hiking trail. Kind of got a little Tasmanian devil thing going on. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Great moments in shooing away Bear's history. Is this anything? An Arizona man had to have 20 diamondback rattleneck snakes removed from his garage. Uh, Diamondback rattlesnakes removed from his garage. Here is snake wrangler Marissa Mackey breaking down how many snakes she sees as she takes them out of the guy's garage. There's one, two, three, four, five adults and probably like 10 to 12 babies. I'm guessing more than one of these was a mom that had babies. So they just found a nice that was the snake detector. Did you hear that? <laughs> that anything? I don't know, man. I, snakes don't scare me. Uh, wasps and hornets. That's that's where I immediately hit the nope train, and I will sprint away on a mission. Uh, but I don't know. Whenever your garage is filled with something, you hear these stories. I, I, I think of the story where there was a guy whose like, garage had like a bunch of spiders in it, and he just set fire to his garage. <laughs> like He just decided that was it. So Burn it down. I guess the snakes didn't bother him enough. 35 snakes? At what point do you realize it's a lost cause and it's either time to make purses or a bonfire? I was looking up some info on the diamondback rattlesnakes. 
It says, although their venom is less potent than other rattlesnake species, they can still sweep the Cubs in a four-game series. <laughs> Cub fans, you just got swept by the Diamondbacks when you're in a playoff race. Unacceptable. Score some damn runs. Get some relief pitching. You got swept. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. It's Monday Gun Day with the gun guy. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. Stop calling your arms guns. Hammer and Nigel show. It is Monday Gun Day here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Tony Kennett's filling in for Big Nige and joining us in studio, 2A attorney, firearms instructor, and damn fine American, Guy Relford. Guy, how are you? Man, I'm great, and thanks as always to our sponsor for Monday Gun Day. That's Premier Arms in Brownsburg, with the largest selection of new, used, and historic firearms in the Midwest, and PA Jewelers located right in the store. Check them out at 3754 South Green Street in Brownsburg or PremierArms.com. So you came by our show this past Friday. I did. Normally it's Monday, Monday Gun Day, but we had to break down the Hunter Biden story. So for those who may have missed your appearance on our show Friday, take us through exactly what Hunter Biden is in trouble for right now, because it's not anything that has to do with Burisma or anything like that. It's the well, gun yeah. charges, right? No, exactly right. And um, and by the way, I have to refute the rumors out there that, that say I came by Friday for um, beer sample gun day. We did, <laughs> ooh, we did not do beer sample gun day. Now that's I, a combination. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Maybe we have yeah, to now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, let me let me go through it. There, there are three gun charges. Uh, these are violations of federal uh, law with respect to the purchase of a firearm. And this is uh, what this is in the, in the indictment, meaning it went to a grand jury. And the first two, count one and count two of what he's been accused of, are, are really identical, um, but they fall under a couple of different statutes. The conduct that's alleged to be illegal is simply lying on the form you fill out when you go into a gun store to buy a gun. Um, you have to answer certain questions, including things like, you know, are you a felon? It's not worded that way, but that's the question. Uh, another one is, are you a user of or addicted to any illegal drugs? And I think we all know the answer to that question yeah, with exactly. Hunter Biden. Mm. And, and when Hunter bought a gun uh, in uh, a few years ago, uh, coming up on five years, actually, um, he went in, filled out this form, and in answer to that question, he said no. And since then, uh, you know, his autobiography came out, he's given a whole bunch of interviews, and he's said, I mean, right from his own lips and, and from his own uh, written word in his autobiography, he said several different ways that he, this is exactly the time frame when he was addicted to crack cocaine. So he lied on the form. That, that, when you lie on, 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 uh, on uh, the form or make any verbal uh, misrepresentations to a gun dealer in order to buy a gun, that's 10 years in federal prison. And then, again, there's kind of a, a, a follow-on on charge having to do with documentation that you lie on being maintained by that gun dealer is another five years when you lie on, on such a form. And then the last one is, because he was addicted to or, or, or a user of illegal drugs, it makes him a prohibited possessor. So he couldn't even possess a gun. And so when he filled out the form, passed the background check based on lying on the on the, on the the form he filled out, um, and he then took possession of the gun and walked out of the gun store with it. So now he's, a, he's in possession of a firearm as a prohibited possessor 
that's another 10 years in prison. Okay, so put your attorney hat on. I'm yeah. sure you have seen this in your career as a lawyer. Oh, yeah, I've defended all these claims. All when these, someone uh, who is not the son of the president is involved, what's normally the punishment for the things that Hunter Biden is being uh, accused of here. Yeah, one of the things that really uh, determines that to a great degree is what his prior criminal history is. Because under what's called the federal sentencing guidelines, it's basically a point system. Let's say you reach a plea and, and the, 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 there's a pre-sentence investigation and, and, and they fill out this long evaluation. And for instance, if you if you have no criminal history, that helps you tremendously. And somehow, um, believe it or not, yeah, I know. Hunter Biden <laughs> technically does not have a criminal history. Exactly. If you uh, take uh, responsibility for your actions and cooperate in the investigation, you get points for that. And bottom line is, somebody with no prior criminal history, uh, if he just comes clean and says, yeah, I did it, uh, I'd expect to see maybe a few months uh, in a low uh, security, a minimum security federal prison, something they call club fed. But if you're the son of the president, then you're going to get a slap on the ass and be on your way, right? Yeah, probably so. Although I do have to tell you what's really interesting to me is that an incredibly low percentage of these cases, that is, people lying on the form when they're buying a gun. Right. Uh, I've talked about on my show, less than 1%, one-tenth of 1%, let me start that over, less than one-tenth of 1% of people who are caught lying on the form ever get prosecuted. And, 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 and so a lot of us have been saying, in response to calls for more gun control laws, oh, we have violent criminals running around with guns, we said, why don't you enforce the laws you have? So, as yeah, someone, finish your plate before you ask for more. Exactly. And so I've been, I've been screaming for years, why don't you enforce these damn laws? So, and a lot of conservatives and a lot of pro-2A people have been saying exactly the same thing. Um, and, 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 and we said it in this context. What, what, what a great example of, of, you know, of someone who's in the public eye for all the wrong reasons, but in the public eye, prosecute his ass. And so that's what a lot of us have called for. And and, and so um, I do think there's a political aspect to this, but um, I also think it's very deliberate and strategic uh, from the, the Biden family and the defense team, which is these are these are at the end of the day, I think, going to result in in, in in minimal, if any, jail time for him and more or less a slap on the wrist. And in the meantime, draws our attention away from where they don't want our attention, which is on the corruption investigation and in and, and the whole uh, criminal enterprise, which is Biden, Inc., is this kind of like, and I've said this before, but I want to get your opinion. Is this almost like an Al Capone type of deal here? Oh, yeah. Because Al Capone was not brought in on murder or no. racketeering or being a gangster. It was tax right. issues. Tax evasion, exactly So right. you've got Hunter Biden indicted here on a gun charge. Is this basically just the placeholder while they investigate other things? It could be, or it could be a complete sleight of hand. Uh, manipulation, which is let's draw all the attention over here and get much less attention uh, on the the investigation of, of Biden Inc. and the corruption that went on, where he's selling influence and access uh, through you know for his father uh, and to his father uh, for millions and millions and millions of dollars. That's something he should spend decades in jail on, uh, not uh, not necessarily this gun charge. Which again, you're talking about three different felonies. Two of them are ten years in prison, uh, but given his lack of a criminal history, typically don't result 
result in in much of any jail time. And that's what I want to focus in on because you know we hear all of the people on the left, and you hear a lot of the establishment GOP. And like when I went to the Republican dinner, I heard in several private conversations people were talking about how sad it is that Americans no longer have any trust, and oh, if only they they trusted the government, which they should, because it's actually not that bad. No, this is exactly why Americans don't trust the government. Yeah. This is why they don't trust the process. Because if I committed these felonies and it was a public knowledge and I was a high scale individual by like me or something like that, I would end up getting prosecuted with my luck. And I would end up serving both of those 10 year sentences for both lying on the form and then carrying it afterward. Yet we have some privileged individual here who was sent to a private school by daddy. And he's going (laughs) to walk away with, like you said, a slap on the butt and a kiss on the cheek. And he's going to waltz off and continue money laundering with his modern art masterpieces. Yeah. And keep in mind that that what they may very likely do is try to to reach a plea deal in here, which will have um, a very broad, uh, very broad release language and and a very broad agreement as to if he pleads to one of these charges or or all of them with some minimal sentence, with all of them serve uh, continue or at the same time, um, they could work right into that same plea deal that oh by the way the government's dropping any other investigation against Hunter Biden on any other issue. They could absolutely try to negotiate that into this plea agreement and say oh look we convicted Hunter Biden and uh, and just uh, you know behind the scenes not necessarily be revealing the fact that they uh, gave away any other uh, potential criminal culpability. It's Monday, Gun Day. Guy Relford joining us here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. We've been talking a lot about the lunatic governor of New Mexico who kind of wants to pull a hog set in Shreve and change the law only for specific areas. Ah, the New Mexico Führer. Mm. (laughs) In New Mexico, high crime areas, no guns allowed. But everybody else, you can, which was completely unconstitutional. A federal court has said as much. You sent me a story today that Indiana Senator Mike Braun is trying to pass forth some legislation so this crap doesn't happen again. That's right. And this is reintroduction of a bill actually that was uh, uh, put together earlier, and I think on the heels of COVID, where we saw governments at all different levels, certainly at the governor level, um, use a so-called public health emergency in order to do a lot of things, you know, by executive fiat, uh, by executive order, uh, as opposed to, you know, sending anything through the legislature where the, the people's elected representatives uh, get, get to have a comment. And, 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 a lot, and a lot of us were looking at that saying, man, this is the next move on gun control. This is where they're going to go. And we've even heard that right here in Marion County. Declaring an emergency. Yeah, you know what? We have a public health emergency with gun violence, so we we need to institute these new measures, whatever they might be. Well, that's gun control that they can't get through the legislature, so let's just do it through an executive agency. You can explain this, by the way, with with a kid's cartoon. So if, if you guys have seen Tangled, you guys seen the Tangled with like Rapunzel? There's a good illustration here, I promise. Allison is cackling. I, I appreciate that. So there's a moment after Flynn, the dude, picks up Rapunzel's like frying pan and smacks a villain with it. And he's like, whoa, I can use this for all kinds of things. That's what this gun law is. Once they figure out, oh, hey, we can yeah. use this health emergency for all kinds of things. Exactly. And all of a sudden, the entire left-wing block of policies becomes enactable, not with a legislature, but with a public emergency. Because no, exactly. that was COVID, and now they're trying to do it with guns. That's right. Bingo. And it's a way of around getting around the legislature. That's exactly what it is. But really, in response to a lot of what happened in, in with COVID, um, Senator Braun introduced a bill um, that would prevent, at the national level, 
um, the president through his executive agencies like HHS, um, Health and Human Services, I should say, uh, declaring some kind of a national uh, public health emergency on guns and doing anything through and doing something through executive uh, action or agency action that otherwise would have to go through the legislature. This would prevent that. It would. It would you know, it's a short bill. It's an easy read, um, and it, he, he introduced it a, f- a few years ago on the heels of COVID. But he's now reintroduced it right on the heels of what we saw in New Mexico. Going, hey, this could easily happen at the national level, like the governor tried it in New Mexico. Now the problem with that, though, is that he doesn't have the numbers in the Senate. Yeah. Assuming everybody just plays ball by their party lines, and hell, maybe at a spite, Mitt Romney goes to the other side. Um, it's pretty much dead on arrival, right? Yeah, because you still need sixty votes in the Senate. You know, but we, it's a we, smart political move. Yeah, it, it's it, smart. It, it, it is um, for a guy that's running for the governor's yeah. seat in Indiana. I was Curti- just going to say he's you know he's a declared candidate for governor, and a lot of people still have uh, harsh feelings toward Governor Holcomb over right. over COVID. And to come in and say, look, I'm trying to limit the power of an executive. Uh, that's how I'm going to um, conduct myself as governor as well. Uh, I think it's a, a strong move. If I'm Holcomb, I say, all right. I've put this out here at a national level. I want to hear from the other folks running for governor in Indiana. You mean Braun? Braun, yeah. I want to hear from the other folks running for the governor's seat in Indiana. Do you pledge to do the same thing? You will not be a New Mexico-style tyrant. Get them on the record. And this is why it's smart for Braun, because Curtis Hill is currently nipping at his heels. Like, there are polls that are coming out where Hill has made up ridiculous amounts of ground. Curtis Hill is drastically underspending all of the other candidates. And Chambers is spending a lot of money. I don't think we've seen the ad buys from Chambers yet. Who? (laughs) No one knows who he is. Anyway, moving on to real candidates. I mean, you have Crouch putting out her thing talking about, we're going to get rid of the taxes. Okay, 2011, go back to bed. Uh, I just don't see any... Braun coming out here being completely absent in Indiana politics, basically just running on the fact that his name is Braun and he's a senator, to come out and say, well, I'm going to ban this state from ever using the governor's power, any state from using the governor's authority against the Constitution is a brilliant political move. It is. It's smart. That, that's it, the analysis. It, it is, and I, but I also don't want to um, minimize the fact that it's also incredibly sound policy. Because I agree with you, it's a great political move, Tony. Uh, but it's also good policy, and right. I'd love to see us get somewhere close, if not get that sixty votes in the Senate. Although I don't think it'll ever happen. If somebody wants to hire you, if somebody wants to have a conversation with you, or maybe somebody just wants to follow your tweets, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? You know, through Twitter works great. It's at Guy Relford. Uh, just Go to Twitter or X, whatever the hell we're calling it these days, and it's at, it's at Guy Relford. It's still Twitter to me. It's yeah, Deer me Creek. That's it's, right. it's the Hoosier Dome. That's right. And it's Twitter. Always. Special thanks to your sponsors who are uh, Premier Arms in Brownsburg, PremierArms.com. Guy, you're the best. Thank you. Thanks, guys. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Coming up a little bit after 5 o'clock. The latest on the drama, if you want to call it that, surrounding Attorney General Todd Rakita. We'll have that. And with Tony Kennett filling in for Nige, maybe a little update on that Maui wildfire that uh, you covered for the Daily Signal. You went out to Maui. We'll get into that a little bit after 5 o'clock. Yep. Before we do, I want to get your thoughts on this 
dress code that the Senate is rolling out because John Fetterman's a slob. Uh, yeah. Basically, Chuck Schumer has come out and said the senators no longer have to dress up. They can look like they just crawled out from a van down by the river <laughs> because it's asking too much for one senator, Fetterman, to dress up. So uh, I have a really nice take on this. Uh, it's called uh, Dress Like You're Not at Walmart at 2 in the Morning. Uh, that That's my entire take for, for pretty much everyone out here. Just dress decently when you go out in public. I miss the days where people actually put on clothes. I miss the days when I could go to a store without seeing parts that I really didn't want to see. I really miss the days now that that isn't being advertised by a senator of the United States of freaking America. One of the most powerful people politically put on in the world. a suit. They have suit makers, and I see the ads on Instagram. They make suits out of athletic fabric. They're really easy to wear. They're low maintenance. You have a staff, dude. Send someone to get you some easy, comfy suits for your depressed rear end, and then go sit in the Senate or resign, you moron. Well, in honor of all this chatter about Senator Fetterman, let's revisit this classic single from Hammer and Nigel Records. Uh, I, I, I do support fracking, and I don't, I don't, I support fracking, and I stand, and I do support fracking. Flipping, and he's flopping on the fracking, he's a liar, pants on fire. I don't support fracking at all, and I never have. Wants to legalize all hard drugs, release the thugs from inside of the jails, and that thing on his next big, and I bet it smells. That was the grossest thing I've ever heard in my life. His views and Bernie Sanders align. He is John Fetterman. Mooched off his mom till he was 49. He is John Fetterman. His wife doesn't care if he's sick or fine. She's Mrs. Fetterman. That knot on his neck's probably loaded with brine. He (laughs) is John Fetterman. He is John Fetterman. What qualifies you to be a U.S. Senator? You have 60 seconds. Hi. Good night, everybody. Little Pearl Jam (laughs) tribute for John Fetterman. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! So we're going to have to talk about this Delphi situation here. Oh, yeah. I'm Jason Hammer, Tony Kennett, investigative reporter for the Daily Signal, filling in for Nigel today. So lawyers for the accused Delphi killer, Richard Allen, have filed new court documents claiming that Abby and Libby were killed by a ritualistic sacrifice by white nationalists. This is according to court documents released today. Odinism, which is some form of sacrifice, a ritual done, 
is what the defense for Richard Allen is claiming really happened to these young ladies and that the investigators are completely ignoring the possibility that this was the way these ladies were executed. There's a lot to unpack there, Tony Kennett. What do you think? Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where you just kind of stutter and stammer as, as I just did trying to start that sentence. What do you even do with this? I mean, it's 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 a white supremacy thing and it's just how these people were murdered. And then you get into the, the Odinism thing. Like, is, is Odinism like a commonly practiced religion? I mean, it's it's 2023. That thing kind of died out in like 1452. So I mean, that's that's quite a thing to make. Of course, talking about all the Norse symbols that were found. Right, it was a Nordic ritual. Again, I if I can prop this up for for just a moment and say that there were a lot of individuals who were making the case that this was an example of Christian white nationalism, and that this was come some kind of a, a you know some return of of pre you know antebellum civil war kind of lynching stuff and i i I had hesitations with that and and this would be why because no there is no tenet of christianity that calls for this kind of stuff uh if you're practicing odinism uh perhaps seek help um immediately i i don't i I just need to wait to see more about this man because every part of this is just messed up do you think and we talked about this on friday a little bit when we had the murder sheet podcast folks on who have done a great job and usually being first with all the information in regards to this story. Do you think this is an attempt for the defense of Richard Allen, knowing that this trial is probably going to be televised? The judge is a historic uh, TV in the courtroom judge trying to turn this whole thing into a circus, a sideshow. Yes. Oh, in yeah. Every possible way. I, I 100% guarantee it. I, I There is no reason in which a lawyer in this certain circumstance would not try to make this the spectacle of all spectacles. I, I, I see all of those those kind of tells laid out before, kind of the way the language is predicated in this, this complaint saying, oh, well, it's actually some kind of super secret, weird sacrifice situation. It, it, it's clearly an attempt to make this just a televised court spectacle. Um, I, again, the, the, the point that I need to make is I need to see how much of this is real and how much of this gets shredded at the first sign of of pressure from the other side. Keeping it in the state of Indiana and the Attorney General's office, Todd Rokita, the Indiana Supreme Court Disciplinary Commission has filed a new complaint against the Attorney General, Todd Rokita. The commission claims that Rokita violated standards of professional conduct when he did an interview with Jesse Waters on Fox in regards to Dr. Bernard when... The attorney general referred to Dr. Bernard as an abortion activist acting as a doctor. She is. And she was at the time. She she had gone to different uh, political events and basically paraded herself around as an abortion activist. Before that time, she was also a very open abortion activist. That She made that the political thing that she cared about more than anything at all. And so after she had gone in regard to this particular case and bragged about it, Rakita, when he was asked about it, was like, yeah, well, this is an abortion advocate. They are investigating her actions. They were not investigating her character. And that's why, that's why this disciplinary complaint falls apart. Because if he was saying, well, we're looking at her ethical character as, as an individual, that's one thing. But they were investigating how she carried out certain actions uh, under her responsibility. And they're complaining that Rakita pointed out, well, yeah, this is an activist. That's it. That's what this big disciplinary committee nonsense is about. What? Why are we wasting everyone's time with this? Really? Like, what a waste. What just a pointless waste. 
Tony Kennett filling in for Nigel today. Tony, your duties as an investigative reporter for the Daily Signal take you to a number of fascinating places. You went to Maui shortly after the fires. You wanted to see firsthand what was going on. This is a story that's kind of fallen completely off of the news cycle. But man, I feel like it warrants a discussion. You were telling me earlier today, Maui's still a mess and there's a lot of information that's yet to come out. Yeah, so we're working on a report right now that that showcases that Maui's government, specifically the city of Lahaina on the western end of the island that was ravaged by the fires, back in October, this uh, landowner who had agreed to donate a large parcel of land near Lahaina to build a fire station and the Lahaina government said no, it, it doesn't fit all of our equity requirements for racial equity and also there are all of these zoning laws because if Hawaii does one thing, it's, it's over zone law everything. So they didn't have a fire station They didn't available. have enough fire stations uh, available. This, okay. this, I'm not saying this would have solved or cured anything, but we're currently investigating just what kind of an impact the fire station might have had, why it didn't go up, that kind of a problem. Uh, second, there is a lot of questions regarding FEMA. So a couple of weeks ago, I was sneaking around the Grand Wailea, which is a resort in Maui. I was sneaking around their parking garage at about 11 o'clock at night local time, uh, trying to see which vehicles had been marked with yellow marker fed for the day. And I found several vehicles that had, they'd been like hastily erased, but you could still see the residue there of federal vehicles. This means that FEMA was housing federal officials in rooms that were $1,000 per night while survivors of the Maui wildfires were sleeping on neighbors' floors, were sleeping outside, had no lodging. They were even shoving the National Guard troops in the Westin, which is way cheaper and way crappier. Were but if you're a federal official- Were fancy hotel? They were. They, they had the Grand Walea gave like minimal eviction notices that said you need to get out, and they started hosting FEMA officials in those rooms. Also, insurance agents were, or excuse me, insurance agencies were starting to charge Grand Walea rooms to basically the payout to their home. So like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and pay for your house that was destroyed in the wildfire after we take out what the Grand Wailea charged you to stay there. So the people of Maui got completely screwed. And so now there is a House Oversight Committee, which is launching a probe into FEMA completely screwing up their response in Hawaii. Has Joe Biden done anything well. Yeah, I mean, he he mocked the survivors really well. He got out there and said, hey, I almost lost my Corvette in a house fire. I know exactly how you feel. Unbelievable. Where can we get uh, more information on this? You're working on it? Yep, you'll find it over at the Daily Signal at dailysignal.com and on my Twitter at The Tonus. The Hammer and Nigel Show. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nige is on sick day number 5,421 today. So that means that Tony Kennett is filling in. And let's go to the hotline right now. Kevin Bowen joins us at this time every Monday to recap the Indianapolis Colts. KB from the morning show over at our sister station 1075 the fan kevin it's been a while since we can say this but hot damn the colts won a football game <laughs> it has been a while yeah it was kind of crazy when you start 
looking back on the last time they won, that would be Jeff Saturday's first game as head coach. Uh, the last time they won a game by two scores, you've got to go back to December 2021. It was a Saturday night game against the New England Patriots at Lucas Oil Stadium. So, uh, divisional win, any win, multi-score win, it's been uh, quite a while. So, certainly uh, a couple boxes checked off there yesterday. So, we'll talk about the win here in just a moment. Every win you know, is important, especially when you're a team that's, let's be honest, not projected to be very good. We'll talk more about the dub, but I think the big story out of this game is the health of Anthony Richardson. Um, Scores two touchdowns right away, first six minutes of the game. He gets up. He's celebrating. Things look good. And then we never see him again, Kevin. Yeah, so basically what happened was he did get hurt on that touchdown. That was when the concussion occurred. Um, Didn't show any symptoms, so you know he stays in the game for a couple series. For what it's worth, he was 1 of 4 and didn't actually run the ball on either of those two series. And then I guess the symptoms started to develop, you know, whatever, 15 or 20 minutes after the original hit. When really, if you watch the replay, I mean, his head, you know, kind of whiplashes against that that turf down there. He reports the symptoms and they, you know, check him out in the blue medical tent and take him into the locker room and his day is over. So, I mean, there's so many layers to kind of go to off of this. Uh, you know, there is a chance he could play on Sunday. We'll obviously uh, have to see how this week goes for him. It, it's not typically the case for guys to leave a game due to concussion and then come back and play the next week. I want to say last year the Colts had uh, eight guys suffer concussions in a game and two of the eight came back to play in that very next game. So for the most part, you know, guys typically miss a week. Uh, And then I would say bigger picture, uh, you you can't enjoy the elephant in the room. And that's Anthony Richardson has now played five quarters in the NFL. He's carried the ball 13 times in those five quarters. And if you look at the 13 carries, he's gotten hurt on three of them. And three of them are are different injuries. Not not all super severe by any means, but – you know, we're talking about five quarters. I mean, Andrew Luck didn't suffer his first injury until week three of his fourth NFL season. So, you know, hits are going to add up. He obviously is a player that wants to get out of the pocket and make plays. So, I just think his balance of playing style and whether he slides or not, how does he avoid hits, all of that is going to be something to watch because when he's been on the field, he's obviously shown a lot of promise here early in the season. Right. So the question looking forward to the Ravens is, do you, do you actually see us kind of if, you know, Richardson doesn't come out onto the field, do you see Moss putting down some more rushing yards and, you know, giving us another color, a touchdown? Yeah, I think that was one of the big bright spots, Tony, you know, exiting yesterday was, and I know the bar was incredibly set low by the running backs in week one, but Zach Moss certainly uh, was a vast improvement from what you got out of Deion Jackson and, and, and company in that opener. Hmm. Uh, Moss was great, and, and he played every snap but, but one. He's going to be the guy you would think for the next couple weeks until Jonathan Taylor is eligible to come off that that pup list. So Zach Moss was really key. In, in a game when you went from one starter to the backup, uh, you still had three straight scoring drives when Gardner Minshew came into the game. And Minshew certainly deserves credit on his own. But I think Zach Moss, just he gave you competency at running back, a little bit better than that. And you didn't even sniff that in week one. So uh, so credit to him for you know kind of showing why he was drafted in the third round a handful of years ago. And I thought he was uh, a really nice performer yesterday. We're chatting with Kevin Bowen from 107.5 The Fan. The wake-up call with KB and Andy in the mornings. So, KB, worst-case scenario here, let me be Debbie Downer and say that Anthony Richardson misses this Sunday's game at Baltimore. 
are the Colts going to miss a lot? Because, man, you mentioned it earlier, Gardner Minshew was still able to run that offense. Yeah, I think they're going to miss a lot, Hammer, just because for me, wins and losses are kind of on the back burner this season. And I know that's a really loser mentality comment by me, but you know, Anthony Richardson's development is first and foremost. It's the conversation that's going to dominate everything as it should um, all, all season long. So, you know, if he misses Sunday, I look at Sunday as an unbelievable challenge for a rookie quarterback. You know, Baltimore faced C.J. Stroud in week one. They sacked him five times. I think Houston had like one snap inside the 15-yard line all game long against Baltimore. And Baltimore's known for this. They are known for a very solid front, some exotic looks. And so I just look at Sunday as an awesome opportunity for Anthony Richardson to you know, get exposed even further into the NFL and see things he hasn't seen yet. So I think that's where some of the bummer lies. I I, I still think he gives you a better chance to win than than Minshew. Yeah, you know, I don't. Know oh, I agree. I'm with you on that, yesterday. but I do see Minshew at least trying to stretch out the defense down the field a little bit more. As to where Anthony Richardson, he's a much better athlete, ultimately a better quarterback. But I still don't know if I've seen that attempt to go down the field a little bit. Yeah, we, we really haven't seen it. Frankly, I, I don't think we've seen it from either quarterback. I, mm. You know, Minshew maybe had that catch run to Mallory yesterday, but I, I still don't see, you know, whatever, 25, 30-yard shots down the field. I do think what Minshew gives you is a very on-target, accurate quarterback where he really excels is kind of timing and, and placement. There were some plays yesterday where you watch guys catch it in stride and kind of make plays after the catch. I think that's probably the difference, the advantage he has over Richardson. Obviously, with Richardson, and you have the run component that you wouldn't have with Minshew. Right. And then in general, to your point, Hammer, um, I do think that's an element of this passing offense we've yet to see taking shots down the field. That's kind of the question that I have. Is this going to be like a short yard, short running, slow and steady, wins the race, just kind of stick with what you know approach towards Baltimore? Because that hasn't really worked against them in the past. And that's what kind of makes me nervous. I mean, if we're too afraid to actually throw some out there and get some, honestly, get some really great outside shots down the field, I just don't know if that's going to be enough to overtake Baltimore. Yeah, I think it's a part of the offense you've got to start to tap into. And, and you know, again, that's Richardson's strength as a thrower. Right. It's testing defenses down the field. It's attempting those shots. I thought it's something we'd see yesterday. Houston was missing uh, both their starting safeties, and obviously Richardson didn't play you know, much into the second quarter, so maybe we eventually would have seen that. But I do think that's an element that you need to start to test. So, you know, if it's Minshew, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of it. If it's Richardson, you know, maybe you do see a little bit more. Uh, but nonetheless, I think this will be a really good test for the Colts. And Baltimore is one of really the few AFC teams that have had a 2-0 and start this season. Mm-hmm. And KB, I kind of feel bad for you because this week, I'm sure you're going to get calls from Indianapolis Ravens fans. There's no bigger you know, drag on society than <laughs> folks that are Ravens fans that live in Indianapolis. These are the equivalent of the same people that troll us that have like no profile picture on their Twitter account, 18 numbers, some fake, really cute uh, handle as their account. The biggest slugs you're going to find are Ravens fans that live in Indianapolis. <laughs> Uh, I absolutely love that. You know, this week it's kind of been a somewhat annual occurrence. The Colts and Ravens playing, or at least seems like it's been. And I swear, I get asked to go on Baltimore radio you know, oh. every time this game 
appears on the schedule. And I'm like, I kind of forget to like question two when they start just ripping the Ursays. And I'm like, guys, I'm 34 years old. I mean, 40 years ago was when the move (laughs) happened. So I hate to play the age game with you, but it just doesn't have a lot of bearing on me for for that. So, yes, I'm sure there is still a little bit of uh, animosity, especially in in Baltimore. And the thing is, like, they're going to run trash talk to you. They invite you on their program. They try to trash talk you. They live in Baltimore. Has anybody (laughs) been to Baltimore? Like, the whole city just smells like a rotting rat's corpse. They serve tetanus shots in the airport on the way out. Right, right. I mean, it's it's a hellhole, yet they try to get cute because they're still mad at Jim Irsay. <laughs> he could not preach kids. After this, you should have a Mayflower. <laughs> oh, my God. If somebody invites you on, you need to do that. Uh, real quick, shout out to my sponsor, Mayflower. Mayflower, helping you move from one hellhole to a better city. All right, KB, where can we find more coverage? Yeah, 1075thefan.com. We'll have written coverage all week long, keep you updated on the Anthony Richardson situation. And then the wake-up call is myself, Kevin Bowen, and uh, Andy Sweeney every morning, 7 to 10, over on The Fan. KB, thank you. Thanks, guys. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer, Tony Kennett filling in for Big Nige. And let's go to the 93 WIBC hotline. One half of the Chicks on the Right program, the lovely, the talented Mock joins us. How are you, lovely lady? I'm good. Please keep the compliments coming. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We have got a number of places we could start here, but I need a female opinion here, right? There's a lot of dudes on this show. It's kind of a sausage fest. So I need a female's opinion here. What am I supposed to do with this Lauren Boebert video? Because last week, the story was the house rep from Colorado was kicked out of a play, Beetlejuice the Musical, which I didn't know was a thing. But the story was she was vaping. It's like, all right. She was asked to leave. She pulled the do you know who I am card. All right, fine. But now there's video. And the video shows her and her love and You know, the dude's grabbing her cans. She may or may not be taking her hand down there toward Big Jim and the twins. What am I supposed to do with this information, Mock? Well, if you are a normal person who is not a hypocritical a-hole, you can recognize her behavior for being completely trashy and gross because it was. And so what's amazing to me is watching conservatives twist themselves into pretzels trying to defend her, which is it's just indefensible behavior. And I don't know why it's not okay to just say that. Like, she's acting like a trash person. She shouldn't be. And she's apologized, which I think is right. I mean, she should apologize. She tried to deny a bunch of the stuff that she did by putting it on to the rest of the audience. Like this whole idea of, no, that wasn't me vaping. That was like smoke effects from the show. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous. And so, you know, she's she's having her boyfriend grab her boobs. She's, she's acting like a complete lunatic during the show. It's just not okay. So she was asked to leave and she left. And she couldn't help herself to, you know, flip the bird at the people who were forcing her out. It was just gross. And there was no reason for it. And I'm glad she's apologized. The people that are criticizing, uh, 
there, there is one valid criticism of this whole, the, the attention that the story has gotten, which is that it's amazing that there is this much surveillance footage of her misbehavior when we still don't know what happened in Jeffrey Epstein's jail cell, <laughs> and we still don't know who brought the coke into the White House, and right. yet we have like every possible camera angle of Lauren Bober. I mean, it's ridiculous, and that is a completely justified complaint, but any conservative who's trying to defend her behavior is just wrong. I mean, there's no reason that we can't call out how ridiculous it is that we have this much surveillance footage and also admit that she was acting like an idiot. I mean, that, those two things can happen at the same time. You are so right. I had not thought of that angle. Like, you can get kicked out of a Las Vegas casino if you try to move your <laughs> chips on the roulette table while the ball has already landed. Like, Charles Oakley, the NBA player, got kicked out of a casino for trying to do that trick because of the eyes on the sky. But yet, we don't know. We have no idea what happened to Jeffrey Epstein or whose cocaine was near the freaking situation room. I mean, that is really, really crazy if you think about it. But yeah, I mean, that's that is the kind of defense I can I can get behind. It's just the, the people who are trying to what about Well, are you OK with, you know, I don't know. Everybody's trying to draw these comparisons. It's OK for our side to call out terrible behavior on our side. And we should, because otherwise we are hypocrites. Would this be as big of a deal, you think, Mock, if this were something that were more adult-friendly. She was at Beetlejuice the Musical, a place where maybe some families would go to watch this show. Like, if the camera picked her up at a Motley Crue concert doing that kind of stuff, would that make a difference? That's a great, that's a great point. I, and I think maybe she could have been more forgiven depending on the venue but yeah I mean she was like dressed to the nines she had this everybody was like everybody's attending this is a theater production and you just I mean it should have been obvious that vaping was not allowed in that kind of venue the whole like she's she's trying to say well I just have like this really charismatic personality and so obviously I was going to sing louder and dance even though I was the only one in the entire theater to do that like those kinds of excuses are just not okay. She knew that there's she knew that she wasn't behaving appropriately. And then I love the part in the apology where she's like, well, there's just not a blueprint for how to have a divorce publicly. Really? Like you couldn't just reach <laughs> down into your like manners training from when you were a toddler and realize that you were misbehaving and not behaving the way that maybe a, a public divorce say should be. I mean, come on. Like some of it is just so ridiculous. But listen, credit to her for apologizing and for owning that she acted like an idiot. And the thing that's frustrating for a lot of folks on the right is, okay, we're going to go after John Fetterman because he dresses like a slob in the Senate, right? In addition to being somebody that's not fit to serve because he's not well, he dresses like a slob. And now it sounds like they're changing the dress code because, you know, it's asking too much for him to take a hoodie off. Instead of pointing out the ridiculousness of that, now you got folks on the left going, yeah, well, at least he's not going to the theater giving out handies. 
Right. And so it, it just it's frustrating, right, when when Congress people behave in ways that are indefensible and it just makes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, these are all ridiculous things for us to even have to talk about, considering the state of the world is the way that it is. But when Chuck Schumer actually changes the rules just so that he can so Fetterman can continue to be a slob. Why are we doing this? You know that it, the rule only applies to senators. So now does any sitting member of the Senate is allowed to dress, quote, however they want, but their staff has to dress up in the suits and ties and dresses still. Like, it's so absurd, this new rule, and so ridiculously only for the benefit of John Fetterman so that he can wear his gym shorts. And is that, is that like, to find me a medical doctor who says that that's a required accommodation. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's got clothes. Like, he can dress like a normal person, a normal member of the Senate. But nope, they're making an accommodation for him and really only the members of the Senate. Any of their guests, any of the staff, they still have to dress, quote unquote, appropriately. I, I bet you that the janitors are have a, have a stronger dress code than John Fetterman at this point. And honestly, this just opens up Pandora's box for a lot of just ridiculous activism, right? I mean, you're going sure. to see senators now wearing, you know, anti-abortion shirts up there. And I hope that the Republicans fight fire with fire here. I want to see like Josh Hawley <laughs> go up there with an I hate Fetterman t-shirt. <laughs> When we were talking on our show this morning, um, we were saying at this point, like the Republican senators should should take a stand. And we want to see Ted Cruz and John Kennedy wear Speedos into the next <laughs> into the next Senate hearing. Because, like, you know, if they can wear whatever they want. They can wear whatever they want. Did you see, speaking of John Kennedy, his speech on the floor the other day? I think this was last week where there, it's in regards to banned books in the classroom and how the state of Illinois has said, hey, we're not banning anything in the classroom. He actually read excerpts from the book Gender Queer, and it was pretty out there. I mean, this is some hardcore stuff that's available in these classrooms in Illinois, and folks on the left had a problem with it. Right. They not, and, and it's the same thing when they, when parents have gone to school board meetings and have read excerpts of these books, too. They're not allowed. They get kicked out for being inappropriate. And they're completely missing the point, which is that if it's inappropriate for adults to say these words out loud, how are these OK in elementary classrooms? And they don't even they don't even get it. So I loved I love that John Kennedy made that point um, and, and, and was clear about how ridiculous this double standard is that, oh, my gosh, we're going to clutch our pearls over hearing this in a Senate hearing. But yet it's fine for a third grader to get their hands on books that have these excerpts in them. I mean, it's it's just so it's just such nonsense. And I love that he did that. It was so, so perfect. You know, what was interesting, too, is that as great as that clip was that was kind of making the social media rounds on Twitter, we were afraid to play it because we thought, well, YouTube isn't going to let this stand. And we're going to get a strike if we play it, which, again, just proves how idiotic this whole thing is, that there's even a discussion about whether or not this is appropriate for classrooms. Chatting with Mock from the Chicks on the Right. Got one more thing here for you, Mock. Got about a minute left here. Um, Hunter Biden, he's indicted. Uh, With the Joe Biden situation, there's an impeachment inquiry. Do you have any faith at all 
in the Republicans or the Department of Justice that anything is going to be done on either one of these fronts? I really would love to have confidence that that's going to happen, but I just don't. And and what's interesting now is that Hunter Biden is suing the IRS um, and saying that they have illegally released his tax returns and that he's the victim of a smear campaign. <laughs> so, I mean, it, the whole thing is just such nonsense. But no, I, I don't have a lot of faith, especially because now we know that some of these tax uh, fraud charges, the statute of limitations on them is going to expire next month. So do I think that, that David Weiss is actually going to come through with, with the appropriate charges? No, because they've had five years to look at this stuff. And now we've got Hunter Biden suing the IRS. This is just nonsense. And the, um, the two whistleblowers from the IRS that came forward now are talking about countersuing Hunter Biden. So this whole thing is just getting completely out of control, and it's going to be just so interesting to watch it all play out. But no, I think I think Biden is going to protect his son at all costs, and the Democrats will help him do that. Only a crackhead would sue the IRS for pointing out that he has not paid his taxes. Only a crackhead thinks that's a sound legal approach. Mock from the Chicks on the Right, chicksontheright.com. Mock, thank you. Thank you. And it takes me back to a simpler place in time. Moonshine Monday here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Tony Kennett, the Tonus, pinch hitting for Big Nige today. Do they have Moonshine Mondays over at the Daily Signal? They're about to. <laughs> good answer, good answer. So this time every Monday, we like to try a couple different shines. And about a month ago, a listener dropped off a big box of various products from Sugarland's Shine down in God's country of Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You've been there before, right? That's right, and it's it's far better than Smokies. I know that's that's a contentious thing to say, uh, but my wife and I go down there every year, and I that love is it. that is the reigning opinion. So, what we have here is a little mixture. Ooh. So, we've got butterscotch gold moonshine, and I'll show you this bottle here, Tony. Okay. okay. But, I saw a recipe that says if you mix it with Appalachian sipping cream, banana pudding, which we also have from Sugarland Shine, Mix them together, pour them into a cup. It's supposed to taste like banana bread. Oh, that's that's a Midwesterner's dream right there. I have mixed these two together. I have mixed up the uh, sipping cream of banana pudding, and I've also got the butterscotch gold shine. Tony, raise up a glass. Moonshine Monday. Tell me what you think. I don't know if I get banana bread. No. But it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's banana pudding mixed with butterscotch pudding, which is the two flavors. But like, that's pretty good. Yes, yes, it doesn't have that shine type of oh my god, I may be going blind kind of no. feel. This is an alcoholic snack pack. It is. It totally is. Last week we had the Bristol Motor Speedway shine, and it's pure shine. Yeah. There's no flavor to it. Right. This one, it's a little scaled back. Yeah, that stuff's like sponsored by Lucas Oil as a fuel injector. <laughs> this is the butterscotch and banana pudding. Sipping cream, moonshine Monday, 